Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Hey, what is up, everyone? Hope everyone's having a fantastic night. BYU comes away victorious. Hold on, Mitch, come on. Everyone's having a fantastic night. If you're listening to this, you're having a good time. I bet you are. Uh, BYU takes down USF 50-21. to I'm here in Tampa. And let me just tell you, after I didn't expect to have a a 13-hour day at the stadium, but you know what? It was a dang good time. And let me just say this too, Matt. I didn't realize the love affair with weather delays. People love them on because it's just like, when's the game going to start? The buildup was even greater because like, when is this game going to finally start? It was just a lot of fun. And then, man, BYU takes care of business and just blows the doors off of USF. An impressive performance, Matt. Oh, it was awesome, Mitch, because there was certainly, I think, a lot of of fans who who were worried about the game just because of the game ones and all that. And you and I talked about this a lot uh, this this morning on extended pregame yesterday uh, in the weeks leading up to this. But there was so much returning experience. That's why I felt really good about this game. And But I didn't feel this good. I mean, it was unbelievable how hot BYU started. And it, it was just really encouraging to see this team with this much experience, this much talent, they were clearly the better team going into it, and they were clearly the better team now that the game is in the past. And it was just nice to see, hey, like, this is what good football teams do, Mitch. They beat the heck out of inferior teams, and that's exactly what we saw. BYU is a dang good football team. And, you know, what? let me say, too, before we dive into this really deep, USF, their fans were, were pretty kind and cordial. You know, coming into this game, I... It kind of thought with just the recent events, uh, you know, away from BYU football, but on BYU's campus, I thought, could there be, you know, some protests, you know, think, just things like that. And I thought the uh, the hospitality was great from USF. I thought they were very kind uh, to BYU's contingent, uh, the media, they were kind, uh, you know, but I just thought, I just thought, I thought that was, um, it turned out to be a pretty fun night and there was no extracurricular stuff in the stands and, it could have easily been something with, you know, things being in the concourse, but it was just pretty friendly. Uh, one thing that was funny, I got a tip from some BYU fans that were in on on their side. Uh, so I was on the, I believe it was the west side of Raymond James Stadium, which was primarily USF season ticket holders and their legacy donors, if you will. On the other side was BYU because they were behind the BYU bench and 
on that side during the weather delay, the Coke Zero was running dry, Matt. It was darn near <laughs> bare bones. It was doomsday. I was like, was, someone call up a swig. Someone, is there a fizz around here? Please. Was this but the while, equivalent of what happened uh, in Nebraska and uh, Northwestern where they were just p- passing beer? I mean, not beer, obviously, <laughs> but it was, was the Coke just being passed around during the delay? <laughs> Apparently so. Uh, I went down to the the concourse uh, on the USF side because I couldn't go around because they were pretty strict. Like, don't go out there with potential lightning in the area. So I couldn't walk around the entire stadium. And on the US, USF side, the beer was flowing, and uh, it wasn't some uh, Coca-Cola Zero. It was uh, Coke with a little bit of extra something. <laughs> it was the Bull Stampede, hey, if you know after, what I mean. After that first quarter, they needed they need they needed double oh, the yeah. extra stuff, man, and to get maybe, through that one. <laughs> maybe maybe that's why USF fans were kind of like, eh, it's okay. Like, hey, we've had our drink on, we've had some partying. If BYU <laughs> wants to put half a hun on us. Hey, they want to put a you know a fifty piece on on us. Oh well, you know. Let me say this too, Matt. The whole mystery, keeping everything close to the vest. Let Jeff Scott and what his program did be an example. It doesn't. Other teams showed up, and despite your efforts to be secretive and everything like that, BYU puts up fifty points and absolutely obliterates South Florida. It was interesting, too, in the post-game press conference, I got the vibe from Kalani Satake that he was not just happy-go-lucky. Like, I I think two years ago, Matt, when BYU blew the doors off a bad Navy team, it was celebratory. One, because it was COVID-19, and we were just happy to see a football game take place. But, uh, you know, it was just like, it was a wow moment for a BYU program that was mired in mediocrity of six, seven win seasons at best. Now, when you put up 50 points in a game against a subpar team, I didn't get the vibe from Kalani, from Jaron, that they were, you know, jumping for joy and this was a celebratory night. It's a great night. Sure, yes, because it's always tough to win in college football. But I got the vibe that they're like, hey, there's this miscue that they had. There's this, there's that. And they feel like there's a, a better product to put out going forward, which I think Cougar fans should be pretty excited about. I love that. You can interact with us here on our uh, post-game podcast with KSL Sports, which we're doing over Twitter Spaces, which is really cool. We're getting some comments, Mitch. Cameron Larson, absolutely agree, Mitch, with your commentary on the fans. The USF fans were really gracious and great to us Cougar fans. And I love this comment, too, from Mikey G. Let's discuss this, Mitch. Anyone here, why we didn't see Jacob Conover or any other backup quarterbacks? I thought that was really interesting that there weren't as many backups playing, especially late into the third and into the fourth as I thought. I always get worried in games like this where you're up big and then there's a special teams miscue and you're like, do we keep the starters in? Do we not keep them in? If it were me, Jaron Hall would not have played the fourth quarter. I wouldn't have played Chris Brooks. I, I, I'm just, I don't know, maybe I'm just really paranoid of injury, but what, what did you make of them not going with with Jacob Conover? Well, I think that was the plan once BYU was up 38-0 with 2-11 left in the second quarter. But keep in mind, the next time BYU touches the ball, it's 38-14. Yeah, true. And and I think that's where, uh, you know, that how the special teams 
that that kickoff unit uh, basically cost BYU 14 points. I I I look at the defense and I thought the defense did an outstanding job and you could point to, you know, only 7 points being coughed up by the defense. 14 points yep. are kind of on on the special teams and I asked Kalani in in the post game, I just I explicitly said, "Why not kick it out of the end zone?" Because to me that just kind of solves the problem, right? I mean, totally. I know there's there's more nuance, I'm sure, to it that I'm not thinking of, but just get down to brass tacks and just kick it out of the back of the end zone. And and Kalani, you know, like like what he he does, he took ownership of it and said, "Hey, that's you know, I I'll take that and and we got to reevaluate things." And that was something that he initiated himself too as one of the things he was upset with in that post game presser. He mentioned it twice before it was even brought up by me. Uh, so clearly, it was something that he was frustrated with and. He knows that this could have maybe been a you know fifty to seven game, and it could have posed the opportunity to have Jacob Conover get some valuable reps yeah. and for all these other backups. But I think once they get up thirty eight zero, the next time they touch the ball, it's thirty eight fourteen, and that's just it's not like it was a game that was in doubt, but it just it was a little bit closer. And with the track record of knowing USF had previously made a run last year in the second half, I don't think Kalani could afford to. Uh, you know, take a, any sort of foot off the gas. And I think there was kind of a messaging to this team, like you don't sleep at the will. Like you got to be, for lack of a better term, it's a cliche, but all gas, no breaks for the entire game. Like we're, we're not letting up basically. And I, I kind of got that vibe from Kalani. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. It's just the special teams thing has bothered me for a while now because just BYU has always wanted to and, and Ed Lamb has talked about this in the past, Mitch, where he just wants that to be pinned between the five and the goal line and make them make a decision. And to me, it's like they're going to get it out to the 20. So is this even worth the five-yard difference? No. Like, to me, I think it needs to be reevaluated. They just need to kick it out of the end zone. Oldroyd can do that. It's not a, It's not because his leg isn't strong enough. I, it, it is. So kick it out of the end zone and let's just play defense. I just, it, to me, this, and I'm, I'm actually kind of glad it happened now because it can get corrected and maybe you need to make some personnel changes on the kick coverage unit as well, but it's just not worth it because in this game, it had no relevance because the game was out of hand, but in a tight game, that could be the difference. You can win and lose games with the special teams. So I hope it gets corrected, and I also love this comment, too, here from Brian as we're getting some comments. So we love the interaction. Chime in, tweet us, let us know what you guys think of the game. And I think Brian brings up a good point, and I hope it's a philosophy change going forward if the opportunity is there. In Wilson's last year, when many games were in hand, Zach still played late, and we didn't see the backups that much. I love what you said, Mitch. It was a missed opportunity because to get a road rep – I think would have been really meaningful for Jacob Conover. I'm just really bummed out that that did not happen. Yeah, that that was a uh, a missed opportunity for sure, and I, I think that's where you know some of the a little bit of the the frustrations out of the game came from Kalani. And and I, I think again too, it's a different mindset with this BYU program now. You know, two years ago you you beat Navy by 55 to three, and you know everyone's jumping for joy. But now it's like, hey, you're you're a preseason top 25 team you're ready for more. And, you know, we've talked in the offseason that, you know, this BYU team, if, if bounces go their way and they can stay healthy, they're good enough 
to be an 11 and one football team. And I, and typically I, I err on the side of caution to say those type of lofty, you know, statements, but I, I do believe that this BYU team is, is really good. Uh, they're our sound football team and they're explosive on offense. And Jaron Hall, I thought was great tonight, 25 of 32, 261 yards, two touchdowns. He did have the INT. There was a few decisions that you'd probably want to get back, but 78% completion rate, a QBR of 161. This guy is well on his way, Matt, to uh, living up to the hype that I think we talked about all offseason, but uh, being, I think, one of the better quarterbacks in college football this year. Yeah, he was he was really good. Uh, is it wrong for me to grade him at a B plus? I, I, I know that sounds crazy when you complete 78% of his passes, but I thought that INT was was really bad. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great learning experience for him because it doesn't sure. matter at, at this point. I mean, they, it, it didn't impact the game, but I don't know what the heck he was looking at on that pass. There was, there, there was no opening there. And then I also thought, and I'm glad it went BYU's way because it feels like there's been a few of these 50-50 calls that have not gone their way in previous years. I'm talking about the swing pass to Brooks. That was originally ruled a backwards pass, and South Florida takes it back to the house. It's tied at seven. It gets overturned. I just didn't think that was a very accurate pass. It was high, and it was there was way too much zip on it. But after that, he settled in and played really well. So um, it's a great place to be for BYU, Mitch, and it for Jaron Hall because they didn't. They obviously played good enough to win, but there's still a lot to correct and fix going into the Baylor game. Alex asked us a question. Uh, again, feel free to chime in your thoughts or, or we can get some conversation going here on, on Twitter Spaces. Uh, update on the injury. So Puka Nakua, <clears throat> Kalani Satake said in post game, and I thought this was a positive development, and I put up a piece on it on kslsports.com, but Kalani said uh, Puka Nakua's injury and him being out in the second half was precautionary, and Kalani said that the x-rays look good. Uh, I think that's an optimistic outlook, and I think that that's that's a po- that's a positive messaging that I heard uh, coming from Kalani. I was expecting, uh, you know, something far worse uh, in regards to an update from Nakua. Uh, John Nelson, who walked off the field, he didn't have any sort of issues. At least it didn't look like. Uh, at least when I during the game, it appeared to be an equipment issue, and then I saw him after the game appeared to be fine. Uh, Gabe Summers, no update on him. I, I didn't get any intel on the status of Gabe Summers. Uh, But, man, Puka Nakua, we got to talk about him. Even though his game ended, you know, mid, like, what, six minutes left in the first quarter, an explosive talent. And Puka shows, too, that he has superstar status. I mean, he is is a special, unique talent. And and I think that, you know, and I think that Puka Nakua, if when healthy, uh, he's as, as good of a talent as we've seen at BYU at the wide receiver position in all of our years watching this this program. Amen to everything you said, and because I agree with all of that, can we not run him that much on the jet sweep? I'm like, I know, I know he's a dynamic talent, but you know, I I, I kind of felt like maybe there was one too many jet sweeps, or they're just like, hey, this is working, let's keep doing it, which I'm all for, like. I kind of tweeted tongue-in-cheek, I'll never say a bad word about the jet sweep ever again because it worked to perfection. But I feel like there are other players that can can run that. You know, Lopini Katoa has proven to be good on that run. And there's some younger guys, too, that I'd like to see in their speedsters. Maybe a Cody Epps, even on a jet sweep. So 
Uh, Puka is awesome. I'm glad that there's not any serious injury. I just, you know, I don't know. I, I wouldn't run him on the jet sweep multiple times a game, every game. Did, did that bother you at all? Or was it just, was that just football to you, Mitch? As, as someone who just, I, I passionately do not like the jet sweep at all. I thought it lasted one game in 2018 against Wisconsin and the whole nation was, loving every second of it, and it's like, <laughs> hey, well, he's running the jet sweep, and then it felt like it got so predictable, and ever since it, it hasn't worked much. But to Puka's credit, even last year, uh, you know, and BYU's credit too, he Puka's always just, uh, even if you know it's coming, he's pretty dang good. And sadly, he does get hurt on that third time. It's one, maybe one too many uh, going to that well with Puka, but uh, I just feel like it's a spot where you're, opening the door maybe for uh, for an injury, but hey, it's football. Anytime these guys line up on the field, you're going to risk an injury. Uh, I, I see our, our friend Nathan, Nathan Bond, who I've been following for years because it feels like BYU and USF have played quite a bit over the years. Nathan uh, requested to hop in. Nathan, let's get the USF perspective from you. How are uh, USF fans feeling tonight? Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, when we saw Puka kind of take those two touchdowns, uh, for the first two rushing touchdowns of his BYU career, you know, there were kind of flashbacks of 2019 with Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin where he had never had a receiving touchdown in his career until he faced USF. So after after Puka did those two things, you know, back-to-back drives, it was kind of like, okay, we're just we're just in it. We're we're just we're going to be this is going to be a terrible, terrible night, and it turned out to be a terrible night for South Florida football. And I mean, I, I mean, I picked BYU to cover the spread by a healthy margin. Like this was not really? going to be a close game, but yeah, it, because it, I'll tell you, Nathan, BYU folks, and including myself, I, I thought this game might be. You know, I thought BYU was the better team coming in, but I just thought, you know, first games, you never know what's going to happen. Really thought USF was going to throw everything at this game. And I thought maybe it could be a you know ten twelve point game, but you didn't you didn't buy any of that. You thought this was going to be a blow up from the get go. Correct. I mean, I, we're we're at the point where it, we're in year three of Jeff Scott, and uh, we're at the stop talking about it and be about it stage of Jeff Scott, and it hasn't happened yet. So until that happens we're going to believe that the worst is going to happen it's probably not the the best uh or the best thing to do mentally but it it's kind of happened uh and when when those two things happen with with puka kind of taking having that you know 75 yard uh you know touchdown run i was saying i was at i was at home uh with my wife and her family it's my wife's birthday today uh so i, I kind of stayed home and I, I was standing in front of the tv seeing that happen i was like oh wow this is gonna be a really long night and it kind of turned into that i i didn't think usf had the horses to even keep up and uh the usf defensive line they brought in a bunch of transfers and uh none of them hit tonight and that's really what it really boiled down to. You can't keep your run fits. You can't keep your gaps. And this is what happens when you play a really good offensive uh, offensive line when you've, your, your minimum is uh, six four, 300 pounds. Well, I appreciate that insight, Nathan. I, I think that Cougar fans listening and probably everywhere, I think, are, are hoping that USF, you know, turns it around and, and has a, a good season because I think Jeff Scott's been very respectful of BYU last year. He – he gave a lot of praise for the atmosphere of, of, 
of Lavelle Edwards Stadium and and leading up to this game, he, he gave high praise to BYU. Just before, uh, you know, one more thing from, from me for you, Nathan. Do you think USF turns it around, or do you think it becomes a situation where they bottom out and, and Jeff Scott's on the hot seat? I mean, uh, my guess was four wins this season would probably keep Jeff's job, um, but that was with progress in other areas, right? I mean, it's a very tough schedule. Uh, you know, Jaron Hall, it was the first of nine guys that USF will face that are on the Johnny United's golden arm watch list, right? So uh, they, pl- they play a very tough schedule. They get Howard next week and then they go to Louisville and then they go to, uh, Florida and then they have the, the, the American conference where you've got very talented quarterbacks. I don't assume it's going to get much better if if they can't stop the run against BYU. Uh, I, I'm not as optimistic as I was, and I was very uh, cautious about my predictions about what USF would be able to do this season uh, in, in 2022. I think with this roster, if you give me 2023's schedule, uh, the out-of-conference, out I think USF may be able to make a bowl game, but with this roster right now, with this schedule right now, it's too tough. I think four wins is the bare minimum for Jeff Scott to keep his job. Well, thanks, Nathan. I appreciate that insight. Gary Bohannon goes 17-30, of 30, 172 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. Matt, Gary Bohannon was completely stifled by – BYU's defense, who Elisa Tuiaki coming into this season felt like it was a kind of a no-name defense. I feel like they made a little bit of a name for themselves tonight with the way they played, holding USF to, let's say, 21 points. The defensive line, I think, showed progress. That was really encouraging to see. And then I just thought the linebacking group was really good as well. And, and one guy... It's it, it's no disrespect to this individual, but I just think maybe we slept on Max Tooley throughout fall camp. I think there was a lot of a lot of uh, interest in the direction of the two guys coming back off injury, Wilgar and Peely, and then what Bywater did last year. So there was that was kind of like all eyes on them, and then Max Tooley, I think, made the play that really opened the doors for BYU when he took that. And that was an amazing play, by the way. He read that play from the start, kind of jumped the route, made a nice play, took it to the house. That was kind of the moment where you felt like, okay, BYU is ready to play. They're legit. They're comfortable. You know, I I think they're going to roll in this game. So it was a good showing for the defense, uh, you know, encouraging. But uh, to to Nathan's point, like, there's a lot of transfers they're working in. And and this is one of the reasons I was – I didn't think this game would be that difficult leading up to it. Is It's just, dude, it's hard. College football's hard when you have a lot of new players and new coordinators. You don't hit the ground running like that with all that new. That's why I thought BYU had such an advantage today because that was not the circumstance BYU was in on either side of the ball. All their coordinators have been here for years. These players have been here for years, and they showed it. So, But defensively, to your point, hey, when these guys are healthy, Mitch, I think it is a pretty good group, and it was encouraging to see that performance today. Hard to get a real barometer of this defense against USF. I'm not ready to anoint BYU's defense as they have arrived or anything like that, but 
uh, I thought you saw signs from a guy like John Nielsen who got a little bit nicked up or whatever, had an equipment issue. Uh, you know, he was dominating early on at the line of scrimmage. I thought, uh, you know, Tyler Batty had a solid game setting the edge. I just thought that BYU's physicality was on display. And I think we also learned a lesson, too. I know USF is not the, uh, you know, uh, gold standard for programs, but uh, it is tough to just simply go into the portal and overhaul anything. I think the approach that Kalani Satake chooses with the portal is probably the best approach where you have a need or you pick your certain spots and find a guy that's going to buy into your culture. And then he elevates and lifts up the position group and creates more depth. When you think about the transfer portal additions that BYU had in the off season and the impact that they made right away, Chris Brooks, that dude is filling the shoes nicely of Tyler Algier. He ends up with 13 carries for 130 yards and a 10.4 yards per carry. He was fantastic. And then Kingsley Suamata'ia, uh, legit. He was a starting right tackle for BYU, and I thought we were looking at a, a future All-American. Kingsley is going to be incredible in his BYU career. We saw him a little bit pulled in the second half to give Campbell Barrington some snaps, and that was by design. BYU was going to play about seven to eight guys along the offensive line, but incredible talent out of that portal that BYU added. And then Gabe Judy Lally, some of the open field tackles he made, his closing speed. BYU is experienced, and then these newcomers are lifting up the team, and it's caused a situation, Matt, where uh, BYU is a really confident group right now. Totally. Keep the comments coming, BYU fans. Uh, I like this one from Dallin Dalton, BYU Cougar fan. Very impressed with the number of receivers and tight ends that caught passes. Lopini, Brooks, balled out as well. Yeah, I, I really like the ball distribution today. It was nice to see Rex back in the action. He was he looked healthy. He had that nice grab over the middle yeah, in a red zone situation. That was nice to see. Uh, Holker had the touchdown, obviously. And I just thought Jaron Hall, this is one of the, the underrated parts of his game, is that he – does have a great knowledge of the offense to where he's comfortable checking it down. He's comfortable going through the reads. I just, when you have, I believe there were five receivers with three or four catches today, uh, pass catchers, I should say, not receivers, but guys who caught passes. That is an indication that the quarterback is a master of the offense and is willing to go through the reads and, you know, with the exception of the INT, that was his big mistake. You know, he'll just, hey, I'll take what the defense gives you. I really liked that about the offense. And I think going forward, that's an encouraging sign because if you're down Gunnar Romney for multiple games, if Pukas misses time and knock on wood, that's not the case. Jaron Hall will just run the offense, plug in a different guy. Terrence Fall making a catch. How sweet was that? So I loved seeing just the variety of the guys catching passes. That's a great point, Matt, because as you noted, I mean, 12 total uh, individuals caught a reception in this game. I mean, that's BYU football, right? I mean, for our listeners here in this in this Twitter spaces, that is BYU of the 80s. That's BYU of the 90s where they're slicing and dicing these opposing defenses. But the difference now is that these are some great athletes. It, this is no longer the guy that looks like a local plumber. This is the these are like legit 
uh, you know, alphas. These are some. Who are you talent. calling out here? A local plumber? <laughs> look, look. I'm not throwing shade to the '80s receivers. Like there was the Glenn, there was Glenn Kozlowski. There were some studs. Like I'm not knocking them, but I'm, at the same time, there was this, you know, thought that BYU guys they ran the system and they ran those precise routes, and that was that. But they're not like guys that can go out and beat you one on one against opposing DBs. Now BYU's got some legit talent at receiver. And it showed itself. I mean, to think that Braden Cosper is wide receiver four when everyone's healthy, uh, that speaks to the type of talent that BYU has. I thought Cody Epps did a nice job. Four catches, 26 yards. He can be that underneath guy for BYU uh, in this offense. And I thought it was also great, too, with Isaac Rex at, at tight end. He gets two catches on the night. And let me tell you, I will say, after the first catch, I was holding my breath a little bit because I'm thinking, oh, just get up, Isaac, get up. Because, you know, he was coming into this game not fully healthy. He would admit that. He's still working his way towards getting back to 100%. But uh, he gets back up. I'm sure he's going to be sore tomorrow and, and getting ready for week two. But, uh, you know, th- there's just a lot of options. And, and the mention of Terrence Fall, too, is a great one. Because if you go back in fall camp and, and during the media observation windows and also during some of the B-roll that BYU provided, uh, there were moments where Terrence Fall is showing these flashes, and I'm thinking to myself, it's it's about time. You know, Terrence Fall is the guy that's been in year three, and if you're going to be in a BYU roster that's in the Big 12 Conference next year, you have to earn your roster spot. And I think message was sent when you're seeing Terrence Fall make that leap. It's a subtle leap, but it's enough to say this guy can go into a game and contribute. Those are the little things that I think help construct BYU down the road into the Big 12 Conference in 2023 and beyond because now you're getting to a spot in Kalani's program where it's not just going to be a layup to earn a a spot on the travel roster or earn a spot on the 123-man roster anymore. you got to earn it, and you got to show some tangible evidence in practices, in games, that you warrant that spot. And I thought that was a nice moment for Terrence Fall. And, you know, speaking of the travel roster, too, Uh, That's always kind of an interesting storyline to me because it kind of gives insight into some of the freshmen, some of the new faces that are, I think the coaching staff, it kind of lends to who the coaching staff believes can contribute right away. And you're seeing guys like Corbin Green, uh, Maury Bamba, who surprisingly, he makes the trip out to Tampa and he's a guy that didn't even arrive at camp until midway through fall camp. And he's already on the travel roster. You're seeing guys like Preston Rex, Parker Kingston, uh, there's already some a little bit of confidence already from this coaching staff that if injuries happen and they have to dig deep and go to some of these freshmen or they fill out the special teams, these guys are are kind of winning over a little bit of the trust from the coaches. So I thought that was interesting, and, and that got the full list of the, the freshmen that made it on the travel roster up on kslsports.com. But all in all, Matt, this was a, a really good day for BYU football as they move to 1-0, and and again, BYU takes down South Florida – 50 to 21. Uh, I'm curious to hear your guys' reactions here, your guys and gals' reactions here on the Twitter spaces. We got Jake Welch, our good buddy. He wants to hop in here. Jake, you're connected. What you got, man? How you feeling about this BYU game as the Cougs are now 1-0? You guys, I, uh, I got to eat a little of a crow here because I believe it was a few days ago that I got on the show and I said something about Oh, I don't know. First game of the season. There's some insurities. 
Uh, you, yep. did, yeah, yeah. you did. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for holding yourself accountable. I, just wanna, I, I know there's people that got receipts out there, so I, I'm happily eating crow tonight. <laughs> hey, great stuff. I, I ate crow against when BOU blew out Navy. Happy to do it tonight. And I think the reason that I really, the thing that really stands out to me is this idea of, and I mentioned this last time, is speaking softly, but carrying that big stick. You know, they, they talked about you know, the teams coming out of the locker room. After the rain delay, oh, they were the USF guys. They're so hyped up. Jay Drew even tweeted out saying, oh, man, there's a lot more energy on this sideline for the Bulls and the Cougars right now. But BYU, you know, they're experienced. They know the drill. You know, these guys came out like professionals, executed on a very high level from the get-go. Obviously, there's a lot of small things. Like, I think there's a plenty, a healthy amount of things we can nitpick and identify. Like, hey, these things need to improve before next week. But from an execution straight out the gate, first game of the season, absolutely thrilled with what we got here. So I think that's yeah. it's, it's that mentality, it's that veteran mentality, you know, coaching staff, players, everything combined was just like, hey, this is business and execute. I will say, Jake, that opening uh, run onto the field after the weather delay was over, I will say that did catch my attention because I recorded both videos and I threw them up on Twitter of each team. And I will say USF was much more hyped and BYU Kalani like waves down everyone and says, let's go. And then like everyone's paused and they're not sure what to do. And then they finally just start walking. I'm like, Oh, should I be, uh, is this UAB part two where one side is super hyped? The other's not clearly that wasn't the case. You're right. BYU was, uh, letting their play speak for themselves in the game. There wasn't much talking and, you know, I think, too, th- this team does have a little bit of a, a chip on the shoulder, you know, and I think that BYU in the state and, and, and maybe nationally, too, uh, there is that overlooked card with this group because they get into the preseason poll at uh, number 25. And I think anyone here listening to this that follows BYU football religiously, and, and, and most of you in this chat, you do, uh, you know this team probably deserved to be more higher than number 25 in the polls. But uh, and I think that's a, that's a nice card for BYU to play. Yet they're, they're in the preseason rankings, but there's that there's that ability to say everyone's overlooking you, and it's legit overlooking. And I'm very curious to see how the pollsters maybe react this go around when the poll drops on I believe Tuesday, uh, the day after Labor Day, because I get the vibe that I'm sure a lot of pollsters will do box score checking. They'll look at the BYU USF game and go. Huh, BYU puts up a 50 spot. What did I miss about BYU? Do I need to look at something more about this team? And then they dig into the numbers about BYU and go, oh, they got a returning quarterback. Oh, they've got, you know, defensive personnel that totals up to almost 200 starts. Oh, they've got this talented grad transfer at running back in Chris Brooks. There's a ton to like. And oh, by the way, they got one of the best offensive lines that they maybe ever had. I, I'm curious to see the jump, Matt, what BYU makes in the poll. Do you think it's possible BYU gets up to maybe in the in the teens, or are they going to stay in the 20s, you think? I think they stay in the 20s. I just have no faith in these people casting the ballot, man, because <laughs> I, like, I feel like Utah will be ahead of BYU still, even though they lost sure. on the yeah. Florida team. Oregon will still be in front of BYU because it's going to be, well, it's, it was, it's oh, Georgia. Hold on, national- Matt. Let me, let me say this, man. Hey, maybe I was wrong. And you were right about Oregon. I know it's the defending. I tried to tell you, Mitch. But holy cow, Oregon got smacked. 
I tried to tell you. I just look. I feel like I'm beating the same drum over and over again. But when you have as much new as USF had, and Oregon yeah. has, Oregon has it too. They have the transfer quarterback Bo Nix, who continually shows that he's a wild roller coaster ride. They've got a first time head coach. They lost a bunch of guys in the portal. They added some guys. I'm, I'm just telling you guys, it takes a while for all this new to come together, and BYU should feast on that experience for the first little bit. Now, next week, that's not the case. There's not that much new with Baylor. They're, that coaching staff is in place. That quarterback was there last year, although he didn't play that much. He was there. So um, it, that, it won't be as much of an advantage next week, but I think it will be against Oregon. I, Oregon is a winnable game, guys. I'm telling you, Oregon is a – I'm pulling the lead courser here where I just repeat myself <laughs> over and over. Uh, Oregon is a winnable game. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it, it's – you're right. I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's simply we just watched Georgia become the next Alabama because that's an Alabama-like thing to do to just annihilate anyone that they face in a week one uh, setting. But uh, Oregon looked terrible today from what I've gathered. I mean, that's one of the things that's kind of tough about games is – you know, anyone that's worked a, a college football game, you kind of like get lost in like what's happening around college football. I was in the post game press room at Raymond James Stadium and there was this buzz about Utah and Florida happening. And I was just totally out of it because you tell me you saw the end of that. I finally have now that I've got situated in my room. But I'll just tell you, like, you know, I mean, you kind of see it with the coverage I put out and. And just the tweets, I'm like, I'm dialed in on everything BYU. Like, that is my one track of mind. I look at my texts, and I'm like, oh, my wife is, has texted me like four times. Bless her heart. And I haven't responded once. It's been 14 hours, but I got to get to those texts. I just, I, I just feel like, okay, BYU football is 12 guaranteed days a year. I'm just going to pour it all out. I got to give every, I got to pour everything in my soul to these 12 games. And it's just, this is what we live for. Like, this is, well, you missed out on an all time moment, man. Florida goes down, takes the lead. Utah's mounting a drive. I'm I'm sure I'm speaking for a lot of people listening here where you're just praying, (laughs) make a play, Florida Gators, make a play. And then Cam Rising. A boneheaded INT. I I mean, it couldn't have been, it could not have been a better day for BYU fans. I'm telling you, Mitch. (laughs) You got the big win in Tampa, then you flip it over to Gainesville and they make a boneheaded mistake. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I I watched that highlight and and that uh, definitely was a mistake. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how far Utah does follow or fall, excuse me, on, on they the... Won't, I'm April. telling you, they won't fall far. and They, they will not they fall before should. 15. They, they probably should. I mean, they, they did take the chance of going to the swamp. Like, respect that a little bit. And I think that's one of the good things about the upcoming... Okay, but at the same time, should they have been seven to start? That That's my thing. No, probably not. Seven was too high. No, I don't think so. I don't think Utah should have been seven at all. But I, I think that Utah probably should have been. I, 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 I'm okay with saying they're 10 or something. Like, that's fine. No, 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 no. 10 is, no, come on. They're 0-1. They can't be 10. No, like, no. I'm saying coming into the season, I was okay with them being at, say, 10. I, I thought yeah, seven yeah, was a, a little bit high just because, you know, at the same time, I, I thought that, um, you know, Utah's defense last year at times was not as elite as they've once been under Kyle Whittingham. But anyway, I mean, I, that's that's Utah, and they're 
they'll pick up the pieces, I'm sure, and, and do whatever they got to do. But BYU is riding high right now. And, and I think that that win uh, for BYU was a solid one. It's nothing celebratory. Let's bring in our friend Hema. Hey, Mooley. Hema, uh, what were your thoughts? You had a busy day, I'm sure, with all the Sports Nation pregame and the postgame. How you feeling, man? Tired. <laughs> it was I a bet. Long-ass day. I'm sure, like, here's the thing. I at least I wasn't like melting in Florida, so I feel bad for everyone that like traveled. But I mean, what a game, man! Like I, it was well worth the whatever three hour delay. I mean, just like five hundred plus yards total yards. It's it's so fun to see BYU do this stuff again, having having an explosive offense. The defense was pretty good. Um, I mean. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I'm, like, super tired, and I'm just, like, laying in my bed right now. But I'm still amped. Like, I'm still on my phone, you know. Uh, let's just say, like, I'm so excited I, I won't back down. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Emma, oh, go what, ahead. Was, what was your uh, – what was the most encouraging part of the game for you? <clears throat> um, the, the distribution on offense. Like, so many people got touches, and they had, like, big gains – um, you know, from Pini having a good game to Chris Brooks in, in his first game as a Coug to Cody Epps showing us what he can do. And then obviously Puka just lighting it up in the first part of the game. Like, it was really encouraging to see everyone on offense was clicking. Everything was humming. Jaron Hall looked great, except for that one INT. But, like, otherwise, the for as far as the first game goes, it was – I don't know. I couldn't have asked for a better performance from our offense. Um, personally, that's what I. That's what I took away. You could have. You could have asked for that. I and <laughs> that do not have happened. happened. Yeah, he was. I mean, he's forcing it in there, right? He's trying to see what he could do. He's trying to put some zip on it. The game's already out of hand. So totally. Like, it's like a practice, right? It's like he's at practice. He's going to push the limits and see what he can do, knowing that worst case scenario, you give him the ball back on their own five, right? So. It's, it's It wasn't smart, and, like, obviously, you know, we would want that back. But I like him trying to push the envelope. Things It's very Zach Wilson-esque to try to push the envelope and see yes. how far you can go. That's a great point. And, you know, I did. I also wanted to mention in this post game, uh, give praise to Lopini Katoa. Uh, 10 Amen, carries, 55 Mitch. yards. You know, I'll admit. I think when Chris Brooks arrived, I was ready to say, okay, Brooks, McChesney, Miles Davis, it's your time. Lopini's back, but uh, he's probably going to be odd man out. Clearly, uh, he didn't take that messaging, and good for him. He's a new man. I mean, last year, it can't be understated how uh, – I think that he was a guy last year that uh, was affected by his mother uh, dealing with you know, cancer. She had a brain tumor. And that was the same week of the Utah game, if memory serves me right. And I, I think that just kind of, you know, threw him for, I mean, just personally, like, you might lose your mom. And I think that took uh, a lot out of him. And I know uh, Hema had a great piece on Lopini in the Kalani show this week, which was outstanding with Deep Blue. Uh, but Lopini's story is unique. And I thought, what a great moment for him to, you know, get those 55 yards because. You know, he was a guy, let's call it for what it is, that Boise State game, he, he has a few fumbles, and 
Here he loses that game probably because of the fumbles. I mean, I don't want to put it on just one man because, I mean, it's a team game, but uh, that was a tough spot, and he's bounced back, and I thought he had a nice performance tonight. And maybe, Hema, this can be kind of like a uh, a boost for Lopini. Like, hey, him and Chris Brooks, this is a one-two tandem for BYU. Sprinkle in a little bit of Miles Davis as well, and, and this is BYU's backfield in 2022. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. Um, the one thing that I'll bring up about Pini that I thought was very important that people may not have missed or may have missed is um, Lopini fumbled, right? He dropped the ball on one of his carries and then he like recovered it. Yeah. Uh, but the cool thing is afterwards he kept gaining yards and having, you know. He took off the little... gloves after that too, didn't he? Uh, I don't remember that. I mean, it's possible, but he like pops off like a six yard run and then like an eight yeah. yard run. He's like, he's got his head in to the space of, okay, I did that. Let's not let it snowball. Um, he knows what he's capable of. And I can see him finding those cuts as he's going through the offensive line. Like he's, he's got a good nose for the ball. It's just, you know, last year his mentals weren't right and he wasn't really um, looking for those cuts and bouncing outside or what and whatnot, but this this game he showed off that he's kind of back, and I think I think he is back. And having Chris Brooks and him with two very different running styles, like Mitch says, is going to be a good one-two tandem in the future. Yeah, I just think that uh, he 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 definitely deserves some praise because I think anyone that listens to me they know that I love the the next wave, the the next big thing, the the future, if you will, but. Sometimes those those guys that have been around for a while, and, and Lopini's been around since 2017, he's put in his time, and he's shown he can be a guy that he finds the end zone quite a bit. Didn't find the end zone tonight, but uh, 10 carries, that's a nice starting point for Lopini. He looks healthy. He looks great. And like you said, the mentals are in a great spot. So I think that's a, that's a good thing for BYU going forward. Matt, uh, is there anything else that you want to hit on and, and kind of – Sound on, sound off on before we uh, wrap this thing up. You tired there on East Coast time, Mitch? No, uh, you know, I'm, no, I'm we tired. Can let's let's go into the night. I'm let's tired, man. Night I, I got a I got a kid that wakes me up at freaking five thirty a.m. every morning, so I'm already burning. <laughs> That's the what I'm saying. Uh, I think I'm honestly. I just want to echo the Lopini thing. I'm glad we got to it because I thought he was the biggest surprise to me today. Because in years past. I didn't think Lapini was a great runner. Like I, I didn't think that he was breaking tackles, and I, I didn't know that he had the vision. But today, Lapini looked like someone that could carry the ball 10, 15 times and break sure. tackles and and make cuts. So I just, I would just echo that. I thought Lapini was the biggest surprise. Like I was expecting twenty plus carries from Chris Brooks, and that wasn't the case. I, and I liked the the split distribution between Brooks and Lapini. So. Uh, it, it's nice to have that complimentary one-two punch and, and credit to Lapini because it would have been easy for him to say, this should have been my time. Like I've been waiting and waiting and, and now you're bringing this grad transfer and I'm mad. So maybe I leave. I, I don't know. I just, I love his mentality and I love the way he played today. And that's a, a great sign for BYU's offense. The chemistry of this BYU team feels like it's in a great spot too. Uh, I think that's one thing that I kind of, kind of take away from, week one is that this team is kind of all on the same page and uh, they seem like it's a group that they're they're letting personal agendas kind of get checked out at the door and I'll say Matt I think in this era of college football that's significant because 
I think so many teams, they're caught up in NIL deals, transfer portal, BYU, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just simply because it's a faith-based institution or it's or it's the leadership of Kalani Sataki. It's probably the biggest reason. But this team doesn't seem to have these personal agendas that we typically see in today's college football. And I think that's one of the reasons, too, that I think lends itself to making you feel like BYU could do something special. Like going to the game, it's... It's going to be probably a toss-up. I'm curious to see what that line's going to look like. I would imagine right now, BYU's probably, what, a one-point favorite, I would say. I think they should be a favorite, maybe one, maybe two points because it's in Provo. But it's a toss-up game. I no way. BYU's the dog, man. In Vegas, I think they might surprise, and I think they could be a favorite. I would not be surprised if BYU comes out as a one-and-a-half-point favorite, maybe. Because you think of the the home the home team if the if the rule of thumb is three points or whatever, it's I the Big Twelve champ. It's the Big Twelve champ, and they're going to be they're going to be top ten. They're moving up. I wouldn't be surprised, Matt. BYU could be a favorite <laughs> by the wise guys in the desert. You're crazy, man. It's well, too I, late over there. Too much Coke Zero. You need to switch <laughs> to Diet Coke. Well, I think I think even if they are dogs, they won't be they won't be dogs by too much. No, so. no. I, I don't think I don't think that would happen. But I did. I just wanted to finish to say one thing. Uh, you know, I don't know if we're closing, but we're, before we close, I just wanted to say that me and Matt, you know, we called it uh, Oregon's a dub. Thank you, Hema. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you did call it Hema, and uh, since you uh, said we're closing, uh, would you like to please give us uh, uh, <laughs> a uh, closing prayer? <laughs> give, us a, give us a thought on the way out to wrap things no. up. Yeah, give us the last thought. One more thought on BYU. Um, let's see. One more thought. Gosh. Uh, I thought the defense looked really good. Um, yeah. You know, we don't have to get into specifics, but that was the biggest thing I was, quote-unquote, worried about going into the season. I got to tell you, boys, I was stressed as hell going into this game, and then the delay made it even worse. But You defense... and Jake and Mitch, you guys were worried for no reason. <laughs> it's true. But the defense looked great, and, uh, yeah, so I'm excited for next week. It's going to be a fight. Great insight there, Hema, as always. I always appreciate you, man. I'll, I will say my, my last thoughts before we wrap this up. I think – Again, BYU is a, a really good football team, and I think that BYU uh, enjoy this ride. I think Cougar Nation like don't be caught up in the polls. And believe me, I mean I, I like following it as much as anyone is as you should. I'm not telling you how to fan or anything, but like I just think this team's going to be fun, and it's not going to be these antics and sideshows of of you know independence. This it's just like it, they're it's building a program, and I think that's. I'm curious to see just what the next step is for this team. And can they deliver another 10-win season? I think the journey towards that is going to be a lot of fun with this group. And I just think that there's a good blend of personalities. And I think the the style of offense, as Hema pointed out, it's fun to see a BYU offense humming at, at a high level. I mean, that's, that's BYU football. And then the defense is playing that physical brand that we've kind of got to know over the last, you know, 15, 16 years of Cougar football, like, the pieces are coming together and it feels like on the surface right now, there's not a glaring significant weekend weakness. If we're talking about kickoff coverage as the big weakness out of week one, I think Cougar fans should feel pretty good. And I think that 
Uh, BYU is going to have uh, you know a lot of success this year. They can maintain their health. It's going to be a fun team, and I think that's just kind of my feeling about this group. Does it end up being ten wins? I think everyone hopes for that, but uh, the ride will be very fun. I think going forward into this year and and the years beyond when BYU ultimately joins the Big 12 Conference. But I think that's going to do it for this Twitter space. Let me tell you, I, I've been having a lot of fun with these. I know Matt has. Hema, we always enjoy your insight. Jake Welch. Uh, we're going to keep doing these every single post game. Hopefully kind of get, a, we'll get a lot quicker on the home games. Workflows and logistics are always kind of weird a little bit on the road when I'm trying to sort things out. So it kind of got a little bit later than I wanted to, but we're going to do a lot of these Twitter spaces. As long as you guys keep listening and tuning in, we'll keep doing them and uh, they'll be available. This one will be on the Cougar tracks podcast feed, Cougar sports Saturday and uh, available on Twitter space as well. We recorded it. So if you need, want to go back and listen to any of the commentary, feel free to listen to that. But uh, we will talk again coming up on probably Monday. I'll have a new Cougar tracks out. And then uh, full coverage of BYU and Baylor next week, 8.15 kick. Matt and I will get the coverage started on the radio at 6 p.m. and uh, toss it over to BYU coverage on KSL News Radio. So we will talk coming up on Monday with the weekly press conference and Cougar Tracks. So catch you then and go check out kslsports.com. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.